Just turn in your Bible to Revelation 4. Revelation chapter 4. And tonight, our message is the songs in heaven, the judgment on earth, and when it's too late to pray. The songs in heaven, the judgment on earth, and when it's too late to pray. Let's bow together in prayer, please. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the privilege and honor of being together tonight in God's house. Only the Holy Spirit can bring conviction, so we must lean heavily upon Thee. We ask that the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts tonight and take away anything that would be false, any kind of pride, guard our lips from presumptuous statements, and may the Spirit of Jesus move to bring conviction to the lost and encouragement to the saved. And Father, there may well be somebody here tonight who is facing an awful judgment, the judgment that is about to come upon this earth. Oh God, move upon their hearts and draw them to Jesus. Anoint us with thy spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now tonight I want to read from Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. Some verses, we'll not read all of this, but I'll tell you the verse numbers. We cannot possibly read the entire section tonight because the message comes from Revelation chapters 4 through 11. And I hope you'll have your Bible open and stay with me tonight as we talk together about the songs in heaven, what they sing in heaven, the judgment that is coming upon this earth, and the time when it's too late to pray. Now already, we've been studying the book of Revelation. And you remember that the outline of the book of Revelation is found in Revelation 1.19. John has seen a vision. He's on the Isle of Patmos for preaching the word of God. He was, on, he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And Jesus said, John, write. Write the things which you've seen. Write the things which are. Write the things which shall be hereafter. That's the three-point outline of the book of Revelation. The things which you have seen, the vision of the glorified Christ, risen, living. The last time John saw Jesus was on a cross. And then he saw Jesus, the risen, risen Christ, but he had not, no idea about the glorified Christ among his churches. And Jesus said, John, I want you to see that vision. That's what's going on, and even now it's true. Secondly, I want you to write the things which are. That's chapters 2 and 3, Revelation 2 and 3. This has to do with the church age. It began when the Lord went back to glory. It will end when Jesus comes the second time. And you remember when Jesus went back to the Father, the disciples were amazed and they stood there and they gazed into heaven and the angels said, why do you gaze into heaven? The same Jesus whom you've seen go into heaven shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. And the disciples went back and began the ministry of the Great Commission, going into all the world and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father 
and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is the marching order for the church through the church age. But one day, one day, the last Gentile convert will walk down an aisle somewhere in this world and will receive Christ as Savior. And that wonderful body of Christ will have been made up, the bride of Christ, and Jesus will burst through the skies and claim his own and will be taken unto himself. This is spoken of in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. If you'll notice, look carefully. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice that I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up here, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And ladies and gentlemen, from, from the last, chap, last verse of Revelation 3, on through Revelation, you don't find the church anymore. Because in Revelation 4.1, the church is removed. The body of Christ is removed. The rapture takes place. And the believers are taken unto Christ. And what we see occur in Revelation chapters 4 through 11, and then 12 through 19, and then on are things that will occur after the rapture. And so what we're going to talk about tonight is yet future. What we talked about last night is now, the nasty now and now. All those, all those indictments Jesus brought on his church, all that admonition Jesus gave to his church is for the now. But what I'm going to talk about now is for the future. And it could happen any moment. It could happen any hour. It could happen any day. If I understand the Bible, there isn't any other Bible prophecy that has to be fulfilled before the Lord comes. I believe we're living on the very edge and the precipice of the glorious appearing of the Lord. He's coming. It may be at noon. It may be at midnight. It may be perchance that the blackness of midnight will burst in the light in the blaze of his glory when Jesus receives his own. He's coming. He's coming again. Now, as we get into Revelation chapter 4 and 5, we see, first of all, the scenes that are set in heaven. The very first thing Jesus shows John is a vision of what's going to go on in heaven. And then beginning in chapter 6 and extending on through 11, there's a quick panoramic view of the things which will happen here in this earth as the judgments of God are poured out upon men who have rejected truth, who have rejected God, who have rejected God's only remedy for sin, Christ, who have rejected God's way. And this earth will reel and reek and tremble under the most terrible judgment the world has ever known. The Bible calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. But first, Jesus says, John, come up hither. Come up hither. And symbolically, we're seeing the rapture of all the believers. And there the scenes are set in heaven. And there are five wonderful songs they sing in heaven. Listen to them. In verse 3, he that sat was to look upon like jasper and sardis stone, and there was a rainbow about the throne in sight like an emerald. In verse 6, 
And before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. In the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And the first living creature was like a lion, the second like a calf, the third had a face like a man, the fourth like a flying eagle. And verse 8, And the four living creatures had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day nor night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. The first song they sing in heaven is the song that we sing sometimes on Sunday morning. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. It is the song about the Trinity. It is the song about the holiness and the righteousness of God. And ladies and gentlemen, you and I need to get in practice for that song we'll sing over there by singing it here. And if you don't enjoy singing here, you're not going to enjoy heaven very much. I'm glad we sing a lot here. Because in singing, we get our hearts warm. We get our souls ready. We get our minds in gear for the things of the Lord. And one day, if you ever wondered why right in the middle of a song you feel like you could get raptured, you feel like, well, boy, this is getting us up to the seventh heaven. It's because we're getting ready for heaven. Over in heaven, they sing a whole lot. And one of the songs they sing is about the holiness of God. And we need to put that into practice right here. God is holy. God is righteous. God is pure. And the song they sing about God over in heaven is the song of holiness. And my friend, that's not the song that sings, have you talked to the man upstairs? That's not some kind of a bumpy, rock and boopy boop song where you people jump all around and dance all around and have that kind of a thing. I'll tell you, God is holy. God is righteous. And we need to sing that kind of song here in the earth, getting ready for the glory. The second song they sing. Verse 10. The four and twenty elders fell down before him that is seated on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. The second song they sing in heaven is about the Creator. All glory to God because he created all things. It's a wonderful song. The first song was sung by the seraphs. It was sung by the cherubs. It was sung by those four living creatures. Your Bible may say the four beasts. A better translation is the four living creatures. You might know more about them if you read Isaiah chapter 6 and refer to some other sections of the Old Testament about those wonderful living creatures. But notice... The second song is sung by the four and twenty elders. Now, who are they? The four and twenty elders represent the twelve and the twelve. The twelve tribes of Israel, the twelve apostles of the Lamb. That is, the people of God. That's who sings that. And they're singing a song about the creation. Wonderful song of the redeemed. And I believe that those must be the leaders of the twelve tribes of Israel and the leaders who were the 12 apostles because Jesus taught his disciples that one day they would sit on 12 thrones in the kingdom. And he talked over and over about, about the glory of those 12 tribes of Israel. And so here we have the representatives of the Old Testament saints and the representatives of the New Testament saints and they're there in heaven singing about the creation of which God is the star. The third song they sing in heaven is in chapter 5. Beginning in verse 8, 
And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God a kingdom of priests and we shall reign on the earth. Now I want you to notice this song. Who sings it? It's sung by the four and, living, by the, by the four and twenty elders and they're singing the song of redemption and I believe you and I joined them in that song. And it's a four stanza song. I want you to notice it. And my dear friend, if you're here tonight and you're not saved, this is the song they sing in heaven. There's not a thing about how good they are. You don't find in this song one stanza that says, Now, God, look how good I was. I held out true to the end. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Nothing like that at all. There's not a single song, not a single stanza that says, Now, Lord, I gave up this and I gave up that and I quit a bunch of things and I started doing a bunch of other things. Nothing like that. I talked to a man one day about his need of Jesus. He said, oh, I'm pretty good. He said, I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't cuss. I'm good to my neighbors. I pay my debts. I'm an honorable husband. I, I, I'm an, I'm an, I'm a, I take care of my children. All kinds of wonderful things that he did. And I said, friend, those are good things. I'm glad you do them. I congratulate you. They're good things. But I want to ask you, when you get to heaven, they sing up there. What are you going to sing? Are you going to sing, I'm thankful I'm here because I was a good husband, because I was good to my children, because I paid my debts, because I did all kinds of good things. And he looked at me and he said, what do you mean? I turned to this passage and I said, this is what they're going to sing in heaven. And if you can't sing this, you're not going to be there. Because this is the song of the redeemed. And I read this. They sang a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And hast made us unto our God a kingdom of priests. And we shall reign on the earth. I said that's the forestanza song of the redeemed. Well, let's look at it a moment. The first stanza says, Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy. Not a word of worthiness about us. How many people have said, Well, I hope I'll get to heaven because I'm pretty good. Because I'm worthy. Or how many people have prayed, Lord, make me worthy to enter thy kingdom. We'll never be worthy. Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no longer know? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. In my hand no price I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Thou art worthy. Christ is worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. Handel wrote that many years ago. He dug it out of the scripture that says, Worthy is the Lamb. And it was in the fifth chapter of Revelation that he found it. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And that's the first stanza of the redeemed song. Secondly, Look at secondly. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. That 
is the crucifixion of Jesus. Thou wast slain. Worthy is the Lamb. I'm here. I'm in heaven because Jesus died on an old rugged cross. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And it was on that old cross that the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Let's sing that song. We need to sing it more because the praise is to Jesus who was slain. I like the song, Alas, and did my Savior bleed? And did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I am happy all the day. It's the song of the redeemed. It's a song in heaven we sing about Jesus, that he died for us on the cross. And the only way you and I can ever get to heaven the only way we can ever, ever have our sins forgiven. The only way we can be made worthy and righteous before God so that we have any standing to be in heaven is to come to the cross where Christ died and kneel in humble adoration and leave our burden of sin and receive his pardon, his cleansing. For the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. That's the second stanza they sing. There's a third stanza. Look down in verse 10. And he has made us unto our God a kingdom of priests. Aren't you glad that's true? The priesthood of the believer. Jesus has made us priests. Your Bible says he has made us kings and priests. And I like that. He has made us kings and priests. A better translation of the original Greek is he's made us a kingdom of priests. Well, whether you say kings and priests or a kingdom of priests, doesn't really make any difference. I look out here tonight and I see a king sitting here. I see some priests sitting here. You see Jesus coming into our hearts makes us kings and priests unto God. And then he creates us into a kingdom of priests. Now what does a priest do? The reason in Bible-believing churches we don't call our ministers priests is because every one of us is a priest. There's a priest over there, and here's a priest, priestess right here, lady priest. And here's some priestesses back here. Every morning we've had some priestesses at church. And we have some priests here tonight. This is a priest over here, and this is a priestess, and a priestess, and a priestess, you see. We're all priests unto God. What is a priest? Somebody who can go directly to God for another. And you and I go directly to God through the high priest Jesus for the masses of the world. That's intercessory prayer. Since we've been redeemed, since we've been born again, since we've been saved, we don't have to pray through some minister. We don't have to pray through a preacher or a priest. We don't have to go and, and go through some hocus pocus to get to God. We can go directly to God any hour of the day, any hour of the night, and we can pray and Make our petitions known before the Lord. Let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find help in times of need. And then a priest does something else. Not only does he intercede, but a priest represents God to man. That's what a priest does. A priest goes before God for others. 
and for himself, but a priest also goes to men for God. That's what they did in the Old Testament. The priest represented God. And beloved, you and I represent God. If we've been born into God's kingdom, if we're saved, we represent God in this earth. And all that that means, that means that we need to take the message of Jesus. Here it is. And go with it in our hearts, in our minds. And may it go in our feet. And may it lead us to knock on some doors. To say to this man, this woman, this boy, this girl, God loves you. I am a stranger here within a foreign land. My home is far away upon a golden strand. Ambassador to be of realms beyond the sea. That's my business for my king. My sovereign bids me tell how mortals there may dwell. That's my business for my king. My home is fairer far than Sharon's rosy plain. Eternal life and light throughout its vast domain. That's what my business is. To come and represent heaven and the earth. And friend, if we're faithful doing that, when we all get to heaven... We're going to have some crowns of rejoicing. And you know what the crowns of rejoicing will be? They're not going to bring some great, great big golden diadem all made up with a bunch of sparklers in it and put on your head. That's not what the crown is. Paul got close to it when he said in Thessalonians, what is our joy or crown of rejoicing or not even ye in the presence of the Lord? The real crown of heaven, the crown of rejoicing, is to find Joe and Mary and Harry and Bill and Tom that you brought to Jesus. And you get before the Lord and you get them all together and say, Jesus, here they are. I present them to you. And oh, what a joy that's going to be. What a thrill that's going to be. That's what makes heaven worthwhile. And in heaven, we're going to get around the throne and we're going to be singing he made us a kingdom of priests. The fourth stanza of that wonderful redeemed song, and we shall reign on the earth. That's yet future. We're going to reign with Christ. Listen, there's coming a day when we'll reign with the Lord. I appreciate something I heard Dr. Jack Hiles say one day. He, he holds down the work in, uh, in uh, Hammond, Indiana, if you've never heard of him. has a church of about 25,000 in Sunday school every Sunday. And Dr. Hiles needed some money to build a building. He went to the bank and he said, now, we need to build a building over here. And they said, well, I'm sorry, we can't loan you any money. We don't know who you are. We don't know anything. Well, he said, I'm pastor of First Baptist Church. He said, that doesn't make any difference. We can't loan you any money. Dr. Hiles banged on the table and he said, now, listen, sometime I'm going to own this city and I'm going to run it. They looked at him. And he said, when I run this city and you want some money, I won't loan you any. I said, what's wrong with you? He said, I'm glad you asked. And he turned to the book of Revelation and started preaching Jesus to him and about the kingdom that is coming and how God's saints are going to rule in the earth. It wasn't very long until he got the money he needed. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to reign in this earth. That's what God says. And that's what that song is all about. We're going to rejoice around the throne of God. And that's one of the songs they sing. But there's some more songs, and let me go quickly. Look in verse 12, the fourth song. 
And behold, I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Now listen, who's joining here? The redeemed are singing, the angels are singing, and now the, the, those four living creatures, the seraphs and the, and the cherubs are there joining us, and here's what we're going to sing with a loud voice, worthy as the lamb that was slain. And Brother Roger, you won't have to tell us to sing loud there. We're going to be doing it anyway. They sing with a loud voice, worthy as the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. That's the song they sing in heaven. But that's not all. Look at verse 13. And every creature that is in heaven and on the earth, and underscore that next section, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Who sings that song? They all join, the living creatures, the four and twenty elders, the angels, the redeemed, every creature, and listen, those under the earth. Who's that? You put that with Philippians 2, 10, and 11. When the scripture says, God hath given him a name that is above every name. That's Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. That's the lost in hell. Preacher, you mean the lost in hell are going to praise him? Yes, sir, that's what that says. Jesus said one day to the Pharisees and scribes, if these do not praise me, God can bring praise out of the rocks. He can raise up children to Abraham out of the rocks. He can cause songs to come out of the rocks. One day, every creature, those who have laughed at God, those who have scoffed at you, Madeline Murray O'Hara and all the rest of her brood, and all of the atheists and all the agnostics and the skeptics who are in hell. They say, oh, oh, I was wrong, I was wrong, I was wrong. They'll join that last song, the only song they'll ever sing in hell. But it's a song acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord. Be too late for them. They won't be saved. They'll be lost forever. You imagine being lost forever with the recognition and realization that you were wrong, wrong, wrong. Have you ever done something and then made a tragic mistake, made some wrong decision, and you thought you were right, and later you found out how wrong you were and it was too late to do anything about it, and you had to live with that? That's what the lost live with forever and forever and forever and forever in hell. And if you're here tonight and you leave Jesus Christ out of your life, this book says that in hell you're going to join all the creatures of the world in acknowledging that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Now listen. You're good to give me some time. I need a little bit more time tonight. Now listen. We come to the second section that deals with judgment on the earth. Here we have seen the scenes set in heaven. Wonderful scenes in heaven. 
wonderful songs they're singing. And then John, Jesus says, John, I'm sorry, but you'll have to turn your thoughts downward and your heart and your mind downward. And my friend, you may not agree with my interpretation. That's all right, I understand. But I believe there's a hint here that the saved in heaven become aware of what's going on on the earth. Jesus says, John, I'm going I'm to show you now. I'm going to pull back the veil and I'm going to show you what's going on on the earth. While we're having this wonderful time in heaven, while we're singing these great songs of the redeemed, there's a terrible judgment coming upon the earth. Now, God says a whole lot about judgment in this book. The book is full of it. I've given you the ice cream and cake first tonight, but I want to talk to you about some meat of the word. Listen to this. In Ecclesiastes chapter 11, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Go on and live like you want to. Sow your wild oats. Have your good times. Do whatever you want to do. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. In Romans chapter 14, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In this passage, I think he's talking about redeemed people. And later in the week, I'm going to get to that. In verse 12, so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. There's no way to avoid the account, the accounting day. There's a payday someday. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. In Hebrews 9.27, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. In 1 Peter chapter 4, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? And we're coming now to the awful time of judgment. In this particular judgment we're going to see first, we're going to see what's going on on this earth. Now, beloved, that's in Clarksville, Tennessee. That's in Louisville, Kentucky. That's in Bowling Green, Kentucky. That's in New York, New York. That's in Los Angeles. That's in San Francisco. That's in Kansas City. That's in Miami. That's in Dallas. It's here. It's in Moscow. It's in London. It's in Paris. It's in Jerusalem. It's all across this world. They think they've gotten by with sin. They think they in the face of God. They think they can slap the Christians. They think they can martyr God's people. This whole world is an enemy to God. And they think they're getting by with it. Listen, turn in your Bibles to Revelation 6 and stay with me a few minutes. First of all, we see the terrible seven seal judgment. Verse 2, I saw and behold a white horse he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. He was a white horse. This sounds like Revelation 19, where Jesus comes on the white horse. But this isn't Jesus. This is the Antichrist. And if you'll notice carefully, he, he, he seems to be a substitute for the Christ. There's no bloody battle here. He comes in a bloodless coup. 
He comes as a man of peace. Now, my friend, when the Lord says it's enough, and he takes unto himself those who are his own, and the redeemed are caught together to be with the Lord, the awful judgments of God are going to be unleashed on this earth. But do you know what the first judgment's going to be? It's going to be peace. These people that are going around waving their white flags and say anti-nukes, let's not have any missiles and all that kind of stuff. I don't believe that garbage. And ladies and gentlemen, there may be some of you here tonight who have been hoodwinked into that. That's foolishness and folly. As long as God leaves us here, he expects us to be able to defend some righteousness. That's like, that's like saying I'm not going to defend my home. Some rapist breaks in, wants to attack my wife. I'll just say, go tell boy, I'm pacifist. I'm not going to let anything come here. That's the way those people are that are saying peace, peace when there is no peace. And I want to tell you, our earth, our earth has gotten to such a point that if somebody should come along and say, I guarantee you peace, I guarantee you peace, I guarantee you peace, we'll elect him president of the world overnight. And that's what the Antichrist is going to do. And that's the first judgment on this earth. My people love to have it so, okay, God will say, you want it, you got it. And so he rides across the earth on a white horse, waving a white flag. And the whole world bows, and there's not a shot fired. And I want to tell you that's the way the world church will take over too. And it may already be in the offing. But there's a second judgment. Strange thing. Look at verse 3. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And there went out another horse that was red. Power was given to him that sat on it to take peace from the earth. See, they had peace. But now there's no more peace. And they that should, should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword, worldwide war and bloodshed. The Antichrist is revealed for what he is. Now, I told you a few moments ago, this is a quick panoramic view of all the things that are to occur until Christ shall come, until the tribulation is over. When we get to chapter 12 and 13 and so on, we'll see this in slow motion, some of the same things taking place. But here we have the white horse turning to red, and there's bloodshed and war. Look at verse 5. And when he'd opened the third seal, I heard the living creature say, Come, and I beheld, and lo, a black horse... And he that sat on him had a pair of balances. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, A measure of wheat for a denarius and three measures of barley for a denarius. And see that thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Famine. Famine fear. And the cost of food is so expensive that it's weighed and measured. Look at verse 7. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth creature saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was Death and Hell. And power was given unto him to, to kill the fourth part with the sword and the hunger and death and with beasts of the earth. Death and hell are unleashed in this earth. The fifth seal, verse 9. I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? What's happening? When a man gets saved during that awful tribulation, 
pays for it with his life. We'll see a little bit later in Revelation 13 that every person has to have a mark of the beast on him, on his forehead or on his arm, his, on his wrist or hand. And if he doesn't have that, he can't buy or sell. Economic pressures. And after a while, he can't eat, he can't feed his family. And he has no recourse but death. The souls of those that were martyred during that tribulation, listen. The Holy Spirit's going to move some Jewish evangelists, and we'll see that in a little while. And they'll go out preaching the gospel, the everlasting gospel. And some will be saved, but those that are saved will have to pay for it with their lives. That's part of the judgment on this earth. You've had it good today. We don't have to pay for that today. Nobody sitting here tonight is afraid that if you go out the door, some soldier's going to meet there and thrust you through with a sword because you're a Christian. Brother Roger referred that to, to that a while ago. And so we elect not to come to church or to go to church. We elect not to win souls to Christ or to win souls to Christ. We elect, as young people, we elect to go and dance away the night with all the other people that are on their way to hell. We, we, we elect to take the dope and the drugs that all the rest of them take. You see, you live in an age when it's a wonderful opportunity to live a godly, holy life. But when you, if you go into the tribulation period, during that period, anybody that gives his life to Jesus Christ, he's going to be like the saved people in Russia behind the Iron Curtain where it really counts to serve Christ. Look in verse 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black and sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs. Worldwide, these judgments don't bring repentance. 